hanging half a hundred on them at Owen Field. Or the run rules on the Diamond at Love's Field. We're giving you the breakdowns, the bets, and the hot takes from the perspective of two former OU Athletics employees. You're listening to the Mainline Podcast with Tyler Burton and Adam Jaquez. Let's go! Let's go! 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 Let's go. It's the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jaquez. And over in the other corner, standing six foot two, finishing the year 20 and 15, your bets champion, Tyler Burton, here in season four of the Mainline Podcast. How are you doing this evening, Tyler? That's really big of you, Adam. I'm, I'm not going to lie. The fact that you actually took the time to open up tonight's show, recognizing the uh, first place winner of the bet segment all season long. I really appreciate that. It's been a long time coming. I've been 0-4 uh going into this season so it was long overdue (laughs) but it does feel good i cannot wait to have that trophy in here it will be nicely on display for all future episodes moving forward hopefully you can get it out get it shipped to me a little bit quicker than i actually returned it to corbin a couple of years ago it only took about seven months for me to get out there to me but yeah uh things are good man um is there anything really happening in the world of college football right now just anything and everything. Just, just like. a little bit. We've <laughs> obviously we're going to dive into uh, talking all things OU tonight. Ultimately, you know, football leads the show. Basketball is going to be some some good stuff to touch on here a little bit. Porter Moser's group is on absolute fire right now. College football playoff stuffs going on. Transfer portals heating up. But Adam, we got to start with things right here in Norman, Oklahoma. I don't think there's any bigger story right now within the program. Uh, we we obviously we went through the uh, the talk of Oklahoma making some changes uh, at the offensive coordinator position, but now that we're a week removed from that, biggest story right now, uh, quarterback Dylan Gabriel has entered the transfer portal. He's going to be looking to take his talents elsewhere. How do we feel about this? It's interesting because I was talking to uh, my boss, who's an Ole Miss fan, earlier today, and uh, he guy. was like, yeah, that's kind of weird, right? And I was like, well, no, not really. It'd be very awkward if Dylan wanted to stay in Norman. It was never the plan. He was always supposed to go to the NFL. And, you know, credit to him. He's seeing an opportunity to make a lot more money by staying in college, probably at Oregon, it seems like. Uh, so you know, good for him. Like, this is the right fit for for Dylan. It's the right fit for OU. Uh, we get the opportunity to move on to the next chapter of OU football with Jackson Arnold. I don't think that changes anything about what, you know, this past season has been or, or what we've thought about either of those guys, because we've been very pretty consistent, pretty fair on this show that we believe Dylan was the right guy in 2023. And now the time has come to move on to Jackson Arnold. And so I, it'll be kind of weird if he goes to USC in my opinion, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's the right timing for both parties. Yeah, obviously all the rumors out there, all the reporting thinks that Oregon is the clear-cut favorite to land the uh, the commitment of Dylan Gabriel. Mississippi State makes a lot of sense for all the right reasons, obviously, with Jeff Levy, you know, taking the uh, head coaching job out there in Starkville. But, you know, Adam, I think that, you know, there does deserve to be a conversation right now as far as, you know, where does Dylan Gabriel stand, you know, with – uh, you know, within the ranks of Oklahoma quarterbacks, you know, obviously he's not the he's not the Baker Mayfield, the Kyler, even the Jalen or even, you know, what we saw in year one of Caleb Williams. But I do think that, you know, you got to give credit where credit is due. Dylan Gabriel deserves all the praise and flowers and love that he's been shown since the announcement of him going into the transfer portal. You know, Dylan Gabriel walked into, you know, what many people thought was kind of a no win situation. You're coming into a coming into a place in Oklahoma where you're coming off. Uh, you know, seasons where you've had, you know, back-to-back uh, Heisman Trophy winners. Jalen Hurts was here. Caleb Williams was here. And, you know, with Lincoln Riley, you know, spurring Oklahoma going to, to Southern Cal, you know, what what kind of player who would want to step into a situation like that with a brand-new coach, brand-new offensive coordinator, uh, when you've got kind of the weight of the world on your shoulders? And we've talked about what it takes to play quarterback at the University of Oklahoma. You know, outside of the governor, there's probably not a more popular person in the state of Oklahoma than the person that you know is is under center playing quarterback at Oklahoma but when you look back at what Dylan Gabriel did in his time at Oklahoma yes he didn't win a Heisman Trophy no he didn't win a Big 12 championship but I still think that you've got to give credit where credit's due the fact that he was able to come in 
bridge the gap between Caleb Williams into the Jackson Arnold era where there was so much turmoil, there was so much panic around Lincoln Riley leaving, and you're leaving this program in a really, really bad position. And he was able to come in and do some really, really nice things at Oklahoma for each of the last two seasons. Ultimately, you know, all Big 12 first-team quarterback this year um, was probably a top-five quarterback. Unanimous. Unanimous. Unanimous all Absolutely, and that's not something, or that is something that we're used to here in Norman, Oklahoma. And um, but at the same time, like he wasn't expected to be unanimous. He wasn't expected to be a Heisman winner. No, and I think that's there's a lot of OU fans, and we've seen the replies to our tweets throughout the season. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of funny because before the year, it was like, well, he shouldn't even start. It should be Jackson Arnold from day one. (laughs) Well, turns out that you know, even throughout the year, throughout across the country, guys like Dante Moore at UCLA. Um, other five-star quarterbacks, um, Nico at, at Tennessee, he didn't really have a whole lot of opportunity there. But by and large, like five-star quarterbacks do not start in their first year. And if they do, they usually are kind of like a true freshman. So it ended up being the right decision to put Dylan Gabriel, um, you know, and make him the guy. And, and he delivered in a lot of ways. And really the only thing that we saw, you know, at the end of the year where people were still complaining was, well... You know, he underthrows every deep pass, which is absolutely not true. He completes a nope. ton of deep passes. It's the one of the hardest passes to complete. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just unreasonable to expect him to be perfect on on the hardest pass to throw, really, mm-hmm. in the game. So I think I think some absence will help OU fans maybe appreciate Dylan Gabriel a little bit more. Sure. Being able to watch mm-hmm. him from afar, I'm sure we'll see just the good things that he does, hopefully, at Oregon. It'll be kind of weird to root for an Oregon player, but... right. Um, I think we'll we'll change our perspective a little bit. Well, and I think one other thing that where Dylan doesn't really get the the praise and the credit that he's due, and that goes back to the leadership. Yes, you can. He was able to make all the throws in the book. You know, he lit up the scoreboard. You know, th- you know, threw for thousands and thousands of yards. You know, t- close to a hundred touchdowns. You know, during his time at Oklahoma, but. Um, I, I think that the leadership thing is one of the biggest things for me. The fact that he was able to come in during his two seasons in Norman, able to lead this football team, able to t- you know get them back to the promised land where, yes, we had a tough stretch going six and seven a year ago, but – we were able to climb ourselves back up off the mat, go ten and two in the regular season, and you know ultimately we have a chance to win eleven games this season. Uh, ultimately, with the uh, the bull win over Arizona that'll be coming up here towards the end of the month. But uh, aside from the leadership factor, the the fact that he was able to really be the guy that you know for many people inside and outside the program, Jackson Arnold is the face of OU football right now with Dylan. You know, going into the transfer portal, it is the Jackson Arnold show going forward, and the the fact that Jackson was able to come in and spend the last 12 to 18 months learning from, from Dylan Gabriel, being in that quarterback room, seeing how a veteran goes about the day-to-day activities inside the football program, both in-season and both off-season. And I think that that's something that has really given Jackson kind of a head start to where, okay, he sees this is how it's supposed to, this is what it's supposed to look like. This is how a veteran uh, operates day in and day out. This is how you go about gaining the trust and the confidence and, you know, from, from every single one of your teammates inside that locker room. Um, and, and I think that, you know, ultimately Dylan Gabriel, everybody's going to remember the, the OU Texas uh, game. You know, if you want to be, if you want to go down, be, you know, be heroic, be historic, be remembered at a place like Oklahoma, the OU Texas game is one of those moments where what you do in that game on that one Saturday in October kind of dictates your reputation for years to come in an Oklahoma uniform with regards to the fan base and what he did in that final drive, taking Oklahoma the length of the field, going in there, throwing that game-winning touchdown pass with just a few seconds left to Nick Anderson. That etched his name in Oklahoma history with the performance in that game. And ultimately, you know, we wish Dylan nothing but the best and, you know, wherever, you know, his future endeavors take him, whether it's to Eugene, Starkville, NFL, whatever franchise is lucky enough to be able to draft him. Uh, but yeah, uh, you you cannot talk about the some of the greats in an Oklahoma uniform at the quarterback position without Dylan Gabriel being part of that conversation. Let's talk transfer portal uh, going yeah. down position by position group here, starting with quarterback, of course, because going into 2024, Jackson Arnold's your guy. Mm-hmm. Michael Hawkins is coming in. You're going to have General Booty still and Davis sure. Bevel still with one more year of eligibility. Does it make sense for OU to go off and pursue a quarterback? And I'll credit Farmer Yugen on Twitter because he responded to our tweet earlier today, specifically pointing out the quarterback position. And I've seen some mixed opinions out there. Do you think OU should be looking for 
really just a body, someone with some experience that's willing to take up one of, the, one of those uh, backup roles. I think that's the biggest and most important characteristic that you just described, Adam. It is the experience factor. I, I don't think that Oklahoma going into the SEC in year one, you know, having a true sophomore quarterback who, you know, is probably going to be making what his second uh, career start in an Oklahoma uniform next year. He's obviously going to start the bowl game, um, all, all things that are being indicated. But uh, having Jackson Arnold going into year one in the SEC, his first true meaningful reps in an Oklahoma uniform, the fact that you would have a true freshman backing him up in Michael Hawkins, who, again, this kid is a flat-out playmaker. He's an, he's an absolute star. Anybody that's been following this kid over the last couple of years uh, knows exactly what we're talking about. And, again, fans, I encourage you, uh, if you're not following the Texas high school football playoffs, uh, this 2023 cycle, I highly encourage you to do so. Just search Michael Hawkins and what that kid uh, has done on the football field each of the last couple of weeks. Uh, but Jackson Arnold, Michael Hawkins, General Booty, okay, it, you know, NIL deal, it's a good name, it's a good story. But at the end of the day, you go into the SEC conference, I know that it's extremely hard to try to find somebody that is both extremely talented but also knows that, okay, going into a place like Oklahoma, yes, I'm very talented, but it's also – it's going to be made very clear to me that me transferring to Oklahoma, I'm not going to be that guy. And my biggest contribution is going to be competing for that backup quarterback job with Michael Hawkins. So that's a really, really tough ask for a guy like Seth Luttrell or Joe John Finley to be able to go out there and convince a guy, hey, you've got all the talent in the world. We think that you would be a nice fit, a nice addition to our quarterback room in Oklahoma. But you also need to understand, too, what we currently have in this room and what's part of the 2025 class. Sorry, the Amazon drivers here. I apologize. Uh, but, yeah, I think Oklahoma, they need to go out there and try to find another quarterback to bring in uh, to help out uh, the other guys in that room. I have seen a lot of people on Twitter you know, talking about this particular conversation and saying, well, no, they shouldn't get someone. Michael Hawkins is the backup. And that's really not the question. The question is, do you want to take a scholarship for a quarterback because you can still make Michael Hawkins a second if we go get a transfer portal quarterback, but yes. do you want to take that scholarship away from linebacker, safety, cornerback, somewhere else on, on the team? Defensive I, tackle. Defensive tackle. I kind of think you do, though. I, I, I will set expectations low. Like, you're not going to get anyone that you've ever heard of, probably. You're probably not going to get anyone that's really started many games. Um, there's, a, to give an example, I don't think this guy is the guy that he's going after because it sounds like Brent Venables is still hesitant to take Clemson guys, but there is a Clemson quarterback in the portal, Hunter Helms. He's a, a two-star uh, from his, his high school rankings, but he was with Clemson for, I think, the last four years, so mm-hmm. he's down to his final year of eligibility. Someone like that that maybe has been in the college space for a long time, maybe I don't know if he's ever played a snap at Clemson, but someone that just has experience, um, probably is looking to build connections in the coaching space and Oklahoma's maybe an opportunity to build more connections in addition to where they were previously. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I don't think we're getting anybody that has done very much on the field, just like we got with Davis Bevel, a, you know, a year or two ago. You, you took the words right out of, my, out of my mouth. And I think that that's obviously something when, you know, you hear the name Davis, Davis Bevel, ultimately, you know, Oklahoma fans are thinking about the Cotton Bowl from a year ago. And I think that that's something that's really, really hard. And it kind of puts Brent Venables and the offensive staff in kind of a tough position because, you know, I always use the Texas A&M example for the last couple of seasons where they were able to go out and convince a guy like a Max Johnson who had some experience at LSU. He was able to come on board. And, yes, Connor Wegman was expected to be the guy. But you also knew at the back of your mind if and when Connor Wegman did get hurt, you had a guy capable of Max Johnson who, yes, he's not going to go out there and win you a game by any stretch of the imagination, but you need to have somebody on your roster. That way, if your starting quarterback does get hurt, you're not throwing a true freshman in there, but you're also not having kind of an oh shit moment where we know that you know our next best option is a guy that we have to throw out there, and it basically forces us, us uh, to run the wildcat offense for for most of the game, like we saw at OU Texas a year ago. So again, it's a uh, it, it's a tough balance to, to try to find somebody that can come in that is talented that can do the job if called upon when needed. Um, but again, if a guy's capable enough to do that at a place like Oklahoma, he's probably more than capable to start at other Power 5 programs across across the country. So we'll see what happens. But yes, I think Oklahoma needs to definitely explore the possibility of bringing in a veteran, older type of quarterback that can come in and at least be somebody that can you know be a solid number two, potentially number three in practice uh, and on this football team uh, for the 2024 season. 
In the running back room, OU loses three different guys there, Dalen Smothers oh. being the one that uh, we would have liked to have kept on campus. But he kind of had a weird OU career. It feels like maybe, you know, in mindset where he was, just OU wasn't the right fit for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Marcus Major and Tawi Walker. I know Tawi had a great year, but the guy still, I think, could do a lot more if he was the guy somewhere else, maybe at a, a lower level or a, um, you know, a, a lesser tier, you know, power five team potentially. Um, and so really the focus was Gavin Sawchuk being the guy, uh, Taylor Tatum coming in, being a guy maybe from day one, Caleb Hicks taking a step forward. Yep. And then it, it seems like Javante Barnes sticking around as well. So what needs to happen in the running back room, Tyler? Or, or what do you want to see here, if anything, from the portal? Well, I know that there's a lot of talk about there. People are debating whether or not, okay, should Oklahoma, you know, at least consider taking, you know, taking a, another guy, especially going into the SEC. Obviously, I don't think too many people expected that Oklahoma would lose at least two, you know, eventually what was three running backs to the transfer portal. You obviously, you understand Tawi Walker's decision, you know, a walk-on at Oklahoma with the performances that he put on tape, you know, all throughout this, uh, this regular season, he's going to have his opportunity to go out there and earn a scholarship transferring somewhere else. And you wish that kid nothing but the best. Uh, Marcus Major is one where, okay, we've seen him in an Oklahoma uniform for what feels like half a decade now. He's still got one year of eligibility left. He's going to dip his toe to try to see what other opportunities are out there at other schools. Dalen Smothers was the one that, you know, really kind of, you know, caught a lot of people by surprise. Ultimately, you know, we he had the, the kind of the situation in the offseason where, uh, many people thought that he had quit the team. He at least flew back home, but then he's back on campus. He's back out at practice. And then we were able to see him in very, very limited short time uh, getting a few carries of where I thought that he looked pretty good. He was explosive, you know, nice athleticism, you know, had a good burst whenever he had the ball in his hands. So I thought that he was going to be somebody along with Caleb Hicks going into 2024. That would be a solid three and four uh, in that rotation behind Sawchuck and Barnes. But now, Adam, as you kind of project what this running back room looks like, not just for the bowl game uh, here in just a few weeks, but for the 2024 season, yes, you've got Sawchuck. From all indications, Javante Barnes, he should be healthy. He should still be in Oklahoma uniform. From everything that is out there, that's probably your one-two punch. But also at the same time, you do have the number one running back in the country coming in, in Taylor Tatum out of Longview, Texas, um, who – you you turn on this kid's tape, you watch the highlights. Uh, he is as good as advertised. Cannot wait to see what DeMarco Murray and Jerry Schmidt are going to be able to do once you get him on campus and get him part of a Division One football program, especially with the nutrition. You combine that with the fact that you've got a guy coming in from Carl Albert and Xavier Robert, uh, Robertson, um, a guy that is the bigger, you know, bigger bell cow type guy, maybe the short yardage goal line type package where you can throw him in there uh, and he can get you those cru- crucial tough yards. Uh, and then, like I said, Adam, Caleb Hicks is one that we've talked about on this podcast uh, for months and months now. If, you, if there is any stock out there left in Caleb Hicks right now, I highly encourage you to go out there and purchase that as we head into this bowl season, as we head into 2024. But at the end of the day, as talented as the running back position room is, if you can find a guy out there in the transfer portal that's got a couple years of uh, Power 5 football experience and is a guy that you think could be a good fit and would actually have a role in this offense and not just a depth quality piece that's going to take up a scholarship, yes, I think you go out there and you add one more guy to your running back room going forward. If you're not sure how to buy stock in a player, uh, subscribe to our Patreon. We'll we'll tell you how to do that. Uh, it's the top tier. <laughs> no, we don't have a Patreon. Um, Rocket Sanders uh, out of Arkansas is the uh, newest running back in the portal. I don't necessarily think that OU will have a chance to him. I, I bet he's probably looking for a bigger role. But he had an injury-plugged year at Arkansas, but still very much a, a good player. It would sure. be nice to get someone else in that room. Although we'll talk probably Arizona in the Alamo Bowl next week. We'll probably do more of a preview of that game uh, in the following weeks. But Caleb Hicks is a guy that probably has a real chance to, you know, create some elbow room and say, hey, this is my role. I'm I'm grabbing this number two spot, kind of the way we saw Gavin Salchuk do a year ago uh, down at the Cheez-Its Bowl. Let's talk wide receiver here. Mm-hmm. A lot of really good names coming back for you as of what yes. we know right now. You've got Jaleel Farouk, who... I almost wonder if he's thought of higher than he actually is. He had two touchdowns all year, one against SMU, one against Tulsa. That just seems, it seems low for a guy that people respect really, really highly, which I mean, it's deserved, but like, we're not talking superstar level there. Uh, And then you've got Nick Anderson, you've got Jane Gibson, you've got Andrew Anthony coming back. 
You've got Petaway, who we we hope will be able to take a leap in year two. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the two Zions, uh, Zion Raggins and Zion Kearney, uh, two really uh, elite freshman wide receiver coming in mm-hmm. in the new year. So do we need to pursue someone in the transfer portal here? And there's dime a dozen wide receivers out there. Yeah, I think outside of the quarterback position, the wide receiver group in the transfer portal right now is probably the richest uh, in terms of quality players that uh, that are looking for a new home for 2024. And, you know, Adam, funny enough, you know, going into this upcoming season, the wide receiver position was the one that we had probably the biggest question mark in, you know, wow, the image Jones factor uh, with what uh, what a difference, you know, the last eight to nine months makes. And Adam, I think that the wide receiver position is probably the position group on this football team where when you look at the transfer portal, you look at the guys that are out there that can come in and make an impact. I think wide receiver is probably the group for Oklahoma that you can be the most selective on because, again, like I talked about with the running back position, at wide receiver, you're losing a guy ultimately in Drake Stoops who, again, 78 catches, 880 yards, 10 touchdowns. You've got to figure out a way to replace that production. And by all things that we've seen, we have the guys currently on the roster to be able to do that. But going into the SEC, you there there is never any shortage of the need to have more quality depth on your football team. And the wide receiver position is another one as well, going going up against some of those you know bigger defensive backs in that conference. So if you can go out there and you can find a guy who – uh, you know, maybe he's a sophomore, maybe he's a junior, maybe he's a one-year rental, uh, but he's a guy that has a proven track record of being able to make plays with the ball in his hands, you know, at the Power 5 level, can make those explosive competitive plays, uh, but is a sure-handed guy, then yes, I think you go out there and you take at least one wide receiver because if you look at the roster coming coming into next season, you know, uh, Andre Anthony is going to be back, Nick Anderson, Jaden Gibson, you know, the Petaway, the two Zions. Oklahoma has more than enough talent in that room, but I still think that at the playmaker positions, you can never have too much talent. Just look at Texas. Just look at LSU. Just look at Oregon. If there's a guy out there that's interested to come play at Oklahoma, to come play for Emma Jones, you take him. At the tight end position, you've got uh, probably a need for several guys to come into that room. We're taking a look at some highlights here on the uh, YouTube show of Jalen Conyers actually getting a a rushing touchdown out of the Wildcat uh, for Arizona State. He had over 800 yards receiving over the last three years, six touchdowns with the Sun Devils. Now he's in the portal, a guy that started his career at OU. He still has two years of eligibility left. He's probably one of the most dynamic playmakers Mm -hmm. that OU could get at that tight end position. Um, So... A lot of different names out there, and you know Conyers is probably towards the top of the list of tight ends that OU probably wants to go after. But um, you know, how many tight ends do you think OU should be taking? They better take at least two. And yeah. I know that many people might think like, "Oh, that's crazy!" When you've got Devon Mitchell coming in, uh, you know, as part of the 2023 class. Okay, guys, let's you know, let's be realistic here. Going into the SEC, you don't want to rely on a true freshman as talented as this kid is. He's one of the best tight ends in the country for a reason. Future is incredibly bright for Devon Mitchell in Oklahoma uniform. But going into the SEC, you can't rely on a true freshman to be the the guy game in and game out during that 12, 13-game season to be able to go in there and consistently be asked to block some of those edge-type guys, be able to go in there and run some of those routes consistently across the middle against some of those SEC defenses. So if I'm Joe John Finley, if I'm Seth Luttrell, if I'm Brent Venables, I am at the bare minimum looking at least at, at least two guys to come in Jalen Conyers he fits the bill six foot four 270 pounds uh you know really good uh you know uh blocker uh when he lines up on the on the line of scrimmage can make plays with the ball in his hands out on the perimeter not as athletic as like we've seen from a Grant Calcaterra or a Mark Andrews but I think from an athleticism standpoint from a from a you know catching the football making plays probably a little bit better than Austin Stogner but he's a guy that you can rely on no matter what the formation is, no matter what personnel group you're in, this guy has the ability to come in there uh, and be successful at a high level. So I'm thinking you take at least two, and depending on what else is out there, possibly three. Keeping it on the offensive side of the ball around things out, and then we'll switch over to defense. The offensive Whoa. line, I think we've all known that there's probably going to be several different guys that we want to get in here, but I think it also depends on how confident you feel in some of the younger players. I think Jacob Sexton uh, fits in right there at right tackle the way he has over the last couple of games. Yeah, uh, You've already got Caden Green at that left guard uh, role. It seems like a, a solid fit there. 
Troy Everett could be your center, depending on what Andrew Rame does. We've yet to hear whether he's going pro, going in the portal, coming back. Like, we really don't know. And I know some people will scoff at, oh, he's not NFL ready. Well, some guys just want to be out of college. So mm-hmm. he may not think he is either, but is just saying, hey, I want to move on to the next stage of life. So maybe he's we'll tired of going to class. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, so left tackle's kind of open. Right guard feels pretty wide open. I know some people are, are high on Jacob Sexton. Uh, but it, it seems like you need at least two interior guys and probably someone to slot in at left tackle there. Yeah, I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, in terms of portal needs, I've got I've got three wrote down for the offensive linemen. You need to take two interior offensive linemen, whether that's a center, whether that's a guy that can play both guard or center, um, and then you've got to take a tackle position. I think that from everything that we've seen this year, Jacob Sexton, you know, all, all the potentials there, you know, he's ultimately, he's got to get in the weight room with Schmitty. He's got to continue to put on uh, good quality size, put on muscle, but the tools are there in place for Jacob Sexton to be the next great tackle here at the university of Oklahoma. Um, I, we could touch on Caden Green. I feel like enough accolades and enough praise has been thrown at this kid, what this true freshman has done in year one, being asked to step in uh, at a position that he really didn't play coming into college he was a highly sought after tackle coming out of high school up there in, uh, in the kansas city area and you know there's been so much talk about you know tavondre sweat from texas you know all the accolades all the praise that this guy's been getting i i think that probably from an interior offensive lineman standpoint Kane green probably you know held up as good as anybody all season long and that includes alabama uh, against Tavondre Sweat up in the Cotton Bowl. So, again, Green and Sexton, those are your two pillars going into 2024. You lose Guyton, you lose Rouse, Andrew Rain will see. McCade Matower has ran out of eligibility. Uh, Portal, you've already uh, seen Savion Bird. Nate Anderson has entered into this thing. I know that we have a couple of really, really nice young pieces like a Jake Taylor uh, being one. And, and you know, uh, the, the Bates kid is a really good player, but – with the the recruits that we have coming in the 2023 class, I call it three star O line class for a reason. Um, and again, we'll we'll touch on that. We'll see what, what Oklahoma can do as they close things out and move into the 2025 cycle. Um, but make no mistake about it, you've got to go out there, and I think you have to get at least three offensive linemen, and not just not just depth guys, but going into the SEC, you need to go in there bringing two to three guys that have the capability of coming in and cracking the starting lineup from day one. So. We'll see what happens. Spencer Brown being the name that everyone's talking about uh, as far as an offensive tackle out of Michigan State, a guy that Bill Biedenbow has already visited. So uh, we'll see if that one comes to fruition. Okay, let's talk about the defensive line, the one that everybody wants to talk about. They want to know who's going to be coming there. Obviously, we we don't know anything really more than anybody else, so we're not trying to be newsbreakers here or anything. Um, I'll go ahead and put up some uh, some Thor Griffith highlights here. The uh, all name team guy. I want him just for his name. He's he's out of Harvard, so he's an interior guy, 320 pounds. He, it sounds like he has a lot of interest in OU, but OU hasn't offered him just yet. It sounds uh-huh. more like OU's probably waiting to see what happens with some other guys, maybe potentially from a and I, I saw a ton of responses on Twitter that people wanted us to go after, uh, you know, LT Overton or Walter Nolan. I don't think that those guys are necessarily going to be pursued by OU all that much, whether yeah. that be OU just knowing that, hey, we're not, we're not high on their list. It's not worth our time or efforts uh, and probably waiting for maybe some other guys to jump mm-hmm. in the portal as well. But Tyler, what do you make of, you know, there's obviously some big names out there like David Hicks. What do you make of OU's chances uh, for someone like that? Should that, you know, type of player get in the portal? I, I would definitely tell and recommend Oklahoma fans. And again, by by no stretch of the imagination, you know, are, are we newsbreakers in like that, anything like that? Yes. Do we have some, some well-placed sources and key places? Yes, absolutely. But what I would say to OU Oklahoma fans with regards to, you know, the, the, the mass exit is coming from Texas A&M. Thanks to Elijah Robinson, taking the DC job at Syracuse. Pump the brakes a little bit, kind of, you know, kind of, you know, tamper your expectations because, you know, just because Oklahoma has a previous relationship with some of these kids, whether it's a David Hicks and L, you know, LT Overton, Walter Nolan, maybe not quite as much, Gabriel Brownlow Dindy, I I don't think that it's just simply a shoe in that Oklahoma is going to get these guys if and when they enter the transfer portal, just because there's a lot of other external factors. There's a lot of other programs throwing the money around in the NIL space. So, uh, again, tamper your expectations with regards to Texas A&M. But 
there are some names out there like you alluded to, Adam, maybe a guy like Thor Griffith, first team all name coming from the Ivy League space. And I know that some people, they see the Harvard next to his name. People think, oh, well, you know, he's not a guy that's capable of playing at a place like Oklahoma. All right, well, the guy's 6'2", 320. He runs a 4'9", and he benched 225 pounds 45 times. Yeah, I said and his that name right. is Thor. And his name, his is, name Thor. is Thor. So we gave <laughs> we gave we gave Buki Radley Hiles a lot of shit for coming out with the you know with the hammer out of the tunnel. If, <laughs> if we bring if, the hammer back, if, if somebody is worthy of running out with the hammer, who better than Thor Griffith? So if Oklahoma is able to bring this guy on board, who's got 33 and a half tackles for loss in his career, I think that's a really really nice guy to throw in the interior. And if you're able to bring in a guy like many people are talking about, Chris McClellan, the kid out of Tulsa, yeah. has spent the last couple of years playing down uh, in Gainesville for the Florida Gators. He's in the transfer portal right now. Obviously, Oklahoma is going to have a lot of interest with this kid. We'll see how that plays out, but. Let's let's pump the brakes on the Texas A&M stuff. If and when some of these guys choose to enter the transfer portal, like a David Hicks, um, then we'll see where Oklahoma goes from there. Because, again, at the end of the day, you've got arguably a top two, maybe top three uh, recruiter and defensive line coach in Todd Bates. You pair that with Oklahoma's involvement with the NIL collective at OU. Uh, we'll see what happens. But, again, you got to go out there, and I think you need to take at least two, potentially three interior guys you compare that with some of the uh, some of the production you've got coming back, like a Grayson Halton. Oh, by the way, 2024, the power line, David Stone, Jane Jackson, Smith, Gilmore. I think that could be a really solid group going to 2023-24. But Oklahoma needs to be very involved. They need to be very active. They need to secure the commitments of at least two, maybe even three interior guys. Yeah, and I think even if guys from AM that we all know the names of, if they don't end up, getting in the portal and going to OU. I think that still could be a good thing for OU because it breaks up the uh, the talent um, nucleus that they have there. And we all know those, I mean, they had great recruiting classes. Uh, those guys are great, you know, for a reason. They weren't utilized right. They weren't motivated right. They weren't developed right by the previous staff. They still well, that's a, that's were pretty a program solid. In a, that's a program in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, but... But a new coach in Mike Elko, and we don't know what the future holds. It seems like, you know, the, the tradition at AM is to underachieve, but who knows if he was the right guy that breaks through and gets everything lined up and gets the most out of all those players. So um, the more that, that talent wow. gets broken up, I think the better it is for OU in the long run because, and, and the better for college football too. Like if you disperse, mm -hmm. you know, what's on a really talented roster to one to AM and uh, one to Ole Miss, for example, and so on and so forth, like, everyone kind of evens out a little bit and that could be potentially a good thing there. So we'll see. I think there's a lot to, to develop there on the defensive line uh, before we know what might happen. It sounds like OU's willing to be patient and make the right decisions on that. So uh, we'll see what happens else. Uh, Adam, let's move, let's move a little bit further back in this defense. Let's move a little bit further back from the defensive line. Let's talk about linebackers. Let's talk about Oklahoma secondary with regards to the transfer portal, possible additions going into next season. Obviously at the linebacker position, everybody's kind of waiting on the, the edit, the confirmation from Danny Stutzman, if and when he is going to return to Oklahoma. That's going to be a big key on just how aggressive and involved Oklahoma is going to be at the linebacker position. So uh, what are your expectations for linebacker? Is Oklahoma going to be involved and basically kind of what's on the roster right now should they be involved should the, should they be looking uh, for another addition particularly at one of the inside backer positions if Danny Stutzman returns unless I'm missing someone else I believe that only Shane Witter is is the only linebacker that will lose and I Correct. think I'm almost a, he's in the portal right or, or am I, I just assuming that? don't I don't think he's in the portal as of yet it could very well okay. be like I said pe people are uh, entering into this thing as we speak yeah um, but you're, so, you're right. You're not losing anything. Yeah, so it's almost like you don't have to add anybody. We all are, are super high on Kip Lewis. We think he's going to start taking a lot of playing time. We think Kobe McKenzie is going to continue to improve and get better. Mm -hmm. And I know there's a lot of haters out there for Jaron Kanick, but the dude is in his second year of playing linebacker. Ever. Uh, I think he did some uh, – yeah, ever. I think he did some really good things this year, and I, I'm looking forward to him continuing to mm -hmm. uh, grow uh, the same way that Danny has. Like, remember Danny's sophomore year was – pretty up and down. Um, and that's kind of what I think we got out of Jaron Canick. So mm -hmm. uh, I think there's a ton of talent there. You still got, uh, uh, you know, Lewis Carter and Samuel Omasigo. Uh, so there's lots of dudes there that I think can make a big impact. So you really don't have to, um, you know, put yourself out there unless it's the absolute right guy 
um, sure. that you want to go after. So you can be really selective there. I think defensive back safety, mm. maybe a corner. That's where it makes more sense to focus efforts. There's no maybe for me at the cornerback position. I think that you've got to go out there and you've got to find at least one, maybe two uh, corners that can come in and at least be part of the two-man rotation because, you know, you lose Woody Washington. He's going to be gone to the NFL. Gentry Williams has got is kind of been bitten by the injury bug. It's been hard for him to stay healthy over the course of the regular season with that shoulder injury. But, you know, make no mistake about it, when Gentry Williams was not on the field, the corner was a clear uh, clear cut, clear cut. Excuse me. Weakness for Oklahoma defensively that teams were able to take advantage of on the back end of this schedule. So if you if you tell me that you've got a healthy Gentry Williams coming into next season and you can pair that with one maybe two lockdown corners that you could pick up from the portal to go along with a guy like Kanai Walker to you know to talk about some of the guys like a Makari Vickers, uh, some you know J- Jeremiah coming back for you know for for his second season. Um, I think that there's a, there's a lot of talent in that Oklahoma defensive back room right now, but it is a position group where I think you know some some veteran experienced talent is needed to come in uh, to, to get Oklahoma where it needs to go defensively, uh, not just for year three of Brent Venables, but also in year one in the SEC going going up against some of those more physical, bigger, faster, stronger guys like we're we're going to see up and down those rosters week in and week out. My feeling is that Billy Bowman is is probably going to go pro. It just That's, I think it, so the way too. his season has ended, it, it feels like it's going to be hard to say no to that. So that would leave you with Peyton yeah. Bowen, Robert Spears Jennings, Jaden Hardy coming in as a true freshman. Am I missing somebody? I, here's my but, here's here's my thought on that, and l- let me backtrack on that. Does does Key Lawrence's who again is going to have another year of eligibility left? Does Key Lawrence's jumping into the portal? Does that have any bearing on Billy Bowman's status coming back? Because if Billy goes, you would think that Key Lawrence would say, like, okay, there's clearly an opportunity where I got a huge bulk of the snaps at the other safety position, but also, you know, the one of the captains of the defense is going to be gone going into the NFL. That's just even more opportunities for me to play in a scheme that I've been in for the last two years. So, again, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that I, if Billy I does feel... come back – I think he has an. You think Key Lawrence is the one that knows though, and like none of, nobody else knows. He's the only one that knows. <laughs> I think. I think. I think a lot of guys inside the inside those walls know what's going to happen. And again, do do I think he's going to come back? I would probably lean fifty five forty five no, just because Billy had probably what arguably the the best season from a defensive back since what maybe Tony Jefferson and even Tony didn't put up the type of numbers uh, that, that Billy has this season with six interceptions. Um, but again, when you look at Billy's, his draft stock going forward, can it get higher? I know that he's probably at this point right now, I think he's probably would be projected probably late second round at best. If a team falls in love with him, he's probably round three, round four type of talent. But if you can come back for another season in this Brent Venables defense, playing defense, with that SEC logo on your jersey, where when you go up and you look at draft boards, you look at some of the statistic about, uh, you know, guys from which conference, you know, gets drafted a little bit more. I think it carries a little bit more weight. NFL franchises drafting defensive backs coming from that particular conference, where it is a little bit more physical, it is a little bit more NFL uh, ready uh, type of play week in and week out. So again, I think if Billy was able to come back and have, you know, a similar type level of production playing in that conference, then, yeah, I mean, he could definitely skyrocket up some of those draft boards and, you know, possibly sneak into, you know, late first round or be an early second-round type of guy. But it's just a matter of does he want to bet on himself and go now, or does he want to possibly come back and try to, you know, improve his stock even higher than it already is at this point? I don't think Billy Bowman's – thinking like this, but I think there may be a guy that we talked about previously back on the offensive side of the ball that could be thinking about his decision this way. Um, yeah, playing in the SEC and doing well can really boost your stock, but going to the SEC and not playing good can can tank your stock a lot too. So sometimes it's better to go pro now versus uh, playing in the SEC and removing uh, some of the doubts about, you know, are you actually good and, and proving that you're not good uh, or not good enough. Um, I don't know. I wonder if I wonder if players think like that. Maybe they maybe they don't. Maybe I'm totally crazy and they're all like super confident and that's that's how life is for them. But uh, we'll see. So I, I th- hopefully we'll have some more clarity on on some of these. Maybe next week. I'm sure we'll talk more yeah. about the Arizona yeah. Alamo Bowl matchup. We'll be talking about signing day because um, that'll be wrapped up. Not not expecting a whole lot of drama there, but 
uh, we'll see. I think that kind of leads us more into uh, the basketball conversation. And we haven't had been able to carve out much time for basketball yet, but they certainly deserve it. We're going to talk uh, a little bit more about basketball over the coming weeks, women's basketball, and then uh, diamond sports. In fact, Tyler, there may or may not be a hype video in the works for softball already. So uh, we'll see what happens there. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited for softball, but... Let's put the diamond sports on the back burner for a little bit because we've got a couple of really, really good teams that are playing really good basketball at the Lloyd Noble Center, particularly Porter Mosier's group or currently Adam uh, playing Providence right now. Is there what's the current score in that game? It, it's pretty much over. There's 50 seconds left. OU's up by 21. So this game's over. OU, well, OU beats Providence uh, and uh, <laughs> moves to 8-0 on the year, ranked number 19th. I mean, absolutely. I, I kind of a surprise, honestly. It's a surprise, and again, I I don't want to get too excited too fast because again, we've seen this before, where this basketball team does get off to a really really nice start. Maybe not you know an eight no type of season, but they start off the year uh, in a really positive way. They get fans excited, and then once you turn the page, you get into Big Twelve conference play. You know, arguably the best conference uh, in college basketball in America. Then the you know it kind of starts to level out a little bit, but. You know, you got to give credit where credit's due. This team is 8-0 for the first time in a long time. Got wins over Iowa. They've got a win over USC, now a win over Providence. This team is playing really, really good basketball. And the thing that stands out the most to me, Adam, when you watch this group, th- this is probably the most athletic basketball team that I've seen Oklahoma put out on the floor in quite some time. I think that they're probably even more athletic than we saw, you know, from some of the Buddy and Isaiah and Jordan Water type teams. Now, they may, they're probably not – they're definitely not as good shooters, not as good of quality basketball players as some of those guys. But, you know, you put five extremely athletic guys with a high basketball IQ, can shoot the ball uh, pretty well and make plays out in the open floor – you know, Porter Mosier's got this team playing the best basketball that we've seen in Oklahoma probably since the Trey Young era. Yeah, the, the key there is that you're not having to make a decision between your most athletic players and your most skilled offensive players because they're the Good same point. guys on this team. Good point. And so you, you just have a bigger margin for error uh, when your guys are able to, not just athleticism-wise, but you can see the quickness and the speed that they have, that they can make up for errors if they're in the wrong position defensively. Uh, or, or even offensively in the transition game. We've seen a lot of transition buckets so far, a lot of explosiveness. It kind of reminds me of uh, Lon Kruger's first year in Norman. And I, I want to say it was the first year he came in and like, oh, you had like two dunks in the first three games. And like the year before they had like one dunk, something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. It kind of feels like the difference of, of eras there. It, it doesn't feel like the Porter Moser teams that we're used to. And I think you're seeing some really good balance too. Like Otega Owe, I wouldn't have expected him to be the the team leader in scoring right now, but yep. there he is. He's he's showing some consistency. We'll see if he's able to hold up there. But also, you know, Milo Susan, he's a guy that I thought was going to be like have to carry this team on his back because mm-hmm. I had kind of given up on the transfer portal because Portal Moser had really missed on that the last couple of years. But mm-hmm. now you've got JV and McCollum coming in and, and he's been electric as a scorer. Uh, John Hugley's come in. He's been uh, unexpectedly good at the yes. three-point range. But also he's finally, he's not seven foot. He's not 6'11 like I would like an OU, you know, big guy to be, but he's got the beef, you know, there with 240 pounds. So I'm curious to see how his game transitions into conference play and how he holds up against, you know, the night in night out competition of bigger players. But so far he's been a hit. Jalen Moore's been a hit. Um, You've seen some other guys on the bench be a hit. I think for me, it does come down. Like I'm still a little bit cautious because I want to see what they look like with big 12 competition on a regular basis. But so far they're playing well. And then also what could this team do if they get into some really you know, high intensity environments and situations because mm-hmm. of all those transfers that we just mentioned, I don't think a single one of them has played an NCAA tournament game. And I don't nope. think anyone, so there, there might not be a single guy on OU's roster that's played an NCAA tournament game at this point. So not a lot of experience in that department. We'll see how that plays out over the course of the season. And if they do have a postseason opportunity. Yeah. But make no mistake about it. You know, another year of Porter Mosier, you know, at the, at the head of the table, being the head coach of this basketball team that, you know, March madness, making the tournament that, that is the expectation going into this season. I know that this team is 8-0 now. Expectations are maybe a little bit higher, obviously, with this team being ranked number 19 in the country. And, you know, Adam, we, we talk about the, the Big 12 basketball year in and year out being one of the most competitive, best conferences in America. That's only going to get better this year because you've got a top 25 program in BYU 
uh, coming into the fold. You've got a program in Houston uh, that's going to be part of this conference. That's going to be, you know, a top 10 program, top 10 team in college basketball this year. And again, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch how this team is able to hold up once they get into the grind of playing, you know, two, three games a week, you know, playing, uh, you know, playing a couple of games, um, uh, you know, inside the big 12 conference. I'm sorry there. Apologize. Uh, I think that this is a weekend, Adam, and I'll throw this back over to you where I know that you've had some really good wins over a USC or over an Iowa, but, They've got the they've got the game against Arkansas this upcoming Saturday in Tulsa at the BOK Center, which has kind of become one of the hottest tickets in the state of Oklahoma uh, as far as collegiate athletic goes over the last couple of years. And again, I know that Arkansas right now they're sitting at six and three. You know they're coming off of a fourteen point win over Furman last night. Uh, but again, that that is a team that is much more battle tested than Oklahoma. They got a fifteen point loss against North Carolina, but then they came back five days later and they took down number seven Duke. Uh, so that's no small feat in itself. So this is going to be a really nice test uh, for Porter Moser's squad if they can go into Tulsa on Saturday afternoon and knock off Arkansas to get to nine and zero. Then I think that you're starting to talk about this team possibly being a dark horse candidate to be one of those final two to three teams uh, in the Big 12 Conference competing for maybe, you know, maybe being a, a four or a five seed once we get into March Madness. I think sky's the limit for this team. We'll just see how well they can hold up shooting the basketball uh, once the uh, level of competition ramps up night in and night out. Yeah, hopefully uh, Tulsa Sooners show up for that game against Arkansas because it's been uh, more of a Razorback home game than it has they been travel a well. home game. Yeah. yeah, so uh, would like to see you perform well there. You play UNC the following Saturday out in Charlotte. So um, there's obviously a lot of opportunity for this OU team to set the tone now because we know how difficult it is going to be to just hold you know home court in the Big 12. And you don't want to be having to fight to make up ground from what you didn't do in the non-conference play. So now's the opportunity for OU to, to get ahead of that curve because as you mentioned, being a four or five seed you know, is something that this program hasn't done since buddy right. <laughs> and so that's been um, that's been close to 10 years ago <laughs> like it's been a long time and uh and so that's every other time it's been you know at best you make it in you're probably an eight a nine a, a 10 or a seven seed so like mm-hmm. your best case scenario realistically is winning one game you get throttled by a one or two seed if you're a, if you're a four or five seed like that just sets up so much better for you to mm-hmm. have an opportunity to get to the sweet 16 and that's actually something that I think is notable. I think it should be the benchmark for the OU basketball program. There's no reason we shouldn't be a top 20 program uh, in the country, in my opinion. So agree. Um, a, a huge opportunity for Porter to, to turn the narrative after a couple of disappointing years. And it's nice to finally see the students getting back to that level. And they look great tonight. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Mid, midweek game against Providence, uh, you know, uh, the fans as a whole, you know, it wasn't a sold out crowd at the LNC, but the student section, the entire lower bowl part of those sections for them was full. So huge shout out to the student section. Adam, before we get out of here, I got two more things for you because we can't finish off this episode with t- without talking about college football playoff and at least giving a couple brief thoughts on Oklahoma's matchup against the uh, against the Arizona Wildcats in the Alamo Bowl in San Antonio at the end of the month. So, Adam, did the college football playoff committee get it right? And also, who's your early horse? Uh, who's your early pick to win the national title? Ooh, uh, my early pick. I would like to be able to say with confidence Washington, but I think I'm going to go Alabama. Uh, I think they're the more dynamic team than Michigan right now, and I like the rematch factor versus Texas. Yeah. So um, we'll see what happens there. I think they got it wrong. I think Florida State, uh, I think it should be the most deserving team. I don't think it should be the best teams. Uh, I think it should be the most deserving teams. There wasn't consistency in how they they rated teams, uh, both in the top four, in the top 12. And OU fans that are mad that we didn't make the New Year's Six, like, or even if this was next year and we didn't make the playoffs, like, I don't care. Like I want perfection. I, I'm not trying to work my way into the peach bowl to feel better about a 10 and two year. I want 12 and Oh, I want to win the national championship. That's yeah. kind of my opinion on it. But I, I don't think there was a consistent way that they rated the teams one through four, the teams one through 12. And then um, I'm obviously happy as a graduate of Liberty university that the flames are playing the fiesta bowl. They absolutely deserved it. Fight me on Twitter. If you disagree, but uh, there wasn't consistency in how they treated any of those teams at any point. They kind of just rated their top four and mailed it in with the, the everybody else there. So, 
maybe yeah, maybe Oklahoma true. maybe Oklahoma would have got a better got a better bowl bid if they would have lost to Texas. Maybe maybe have better a, losses. Maybe a better quality <laughs> loss is is more highly valued than the games that you actually won on your schedule. And again, well, we can save that for another time. I actually got a text from one of my old Miss buddies who uh, kind of let it be known to me in kind of a provocative way, like you know, yes, old Miss, we got the bowl bid for the New Year Six over Oklahoma. Like, okay, buddy, I'm I'm happy that that's the standard for your program. You're fired up about getting <laughs> to go to the Peach Bowl, uh, to, you know, to to win double digit games. I'm sorry, that's not the standard uh, of the program at a place like Oklahoma. But uh, again, I, I think the College Football Playoff Committee they they were kind of dealt a tough hand. And again, let me just say this: at the end of the day. Whether it was Texas, whether it was Alabama, whether it was Florida State, all three of those teams, I think, had a legitimate argument why they should be in the college football playoff. And again, somebody was going to get screwed one way or one way or another. One fan base that ended up being the Knowles, Danny Cannell, <laughs> uh, couldn't have happened to a better guy. <laughs> but again, to the Knowles fans, I totally get where you're coming from. It was hard seeing the reaction from Mike Norvell when yeah. you know when the when the news did come out, him dropping his head into his lap. I get that because at the end of the day, the only thing that you can control are the teams that you play on your schedule. And when you go out there, you do everything that could have possibly been asked of you. You run the table. You're an undefeated Power 5 conference champion. Yes, they should have been in the playoffs. But, Adam, I think that I can confidently sit here and say that maybe outside of Penn State, every other team in the top 10 to 12, I would pick to beat Florida State on a neutral field tomorrow with the quarterback situation that they have. And again, I know that you play the game for a reason. But again, if you're talking about putting the best teams in play, you cannot leave a one-loss SEC champion that just took down a team that hasn't been beaten in two years. Alabama deserved to be in that college football playoff. They are one of the four best teams in the country right now. I know you're shaking your head. You're rolling your eyes. It shouldn't be the best teams. It should be the most deserving teams because if it's just the best teams, like we shouldn't play the games. We should just go straight to the playoff. I, I get it. I can see the argument from both sides. But again, but I, see, I feel- see, this is like if you want to make the argument that it should be the best teams, like the, the problem is there's not criteria really that's set in stone that's easy to articulate and understand and say, hey, here's why we justified this ranking or that ranking. And there's just, there's nothing there. It's just subjective. And that's why everyone's upset about it. Different teams are being judged based on different. Whatever, yep. whatever you want to call it. there, there's different, exactly. there's different rules, there's different categories. There's teams are prioritized, you know, based on different circumstances. And you know, the committee has kind of made it pretty clear that we value this particular thing with this team, but it's we're not putting as much stock into it when talking about this team. So again, at the end of the day, if I'm picking it right now, I think you're looking at an Alabama Texas rematch. And if I had to pick it. I think I'd probably lean Texas right now, but we'll see. Uh, but obviously, my uh, I'm going to be wearing a Washington hat. Uh, that, that's going to be my team that I'm riding with, hoping that they win a national championship. But again, it's kind of it's kind of shaping up well for Texas. You know, Michigan being the number one overall seed, they kind of got the the toughest draw of all. You know, out of the three remaining teams, and you know, the video of them kind of groaning when that number four seed was announced kind of made that relevant. But yeah. I think I'll take Texas at this point right now. But again, ask me in a couple of weeks. Adam? We're going to we'll put s- you in the portal. We're going to put we'll, you in the portal, Tyler. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> we'll, 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 uh, we'll put a pin on the uh, the OU Arizona talk. We've obviously got a few more episodes between now and kickoff. We'll dive into the X's and O's. Uh, we'll look at Jed Fish's team in a little bit more detail. Um, and, you know, this time next week, Adam might have some uh, some breaking news within this podcast. We've got some good things in the works. It's been a been a long time coming. Um, but yeah, she might have a, uh, might have an exciting new announcement this time next week. Yeah. Well, thanks everyone for listening to the podcast. If you made it this far, you heard that little tidbit there, maybe keep your eyes and ears open, uh, to see what happens to the mainline podcast. And, uh, we will see everyone again next week for the next episode.